This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. It is to fulfill the scripture. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I tell you this now before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, I tell you, whoever receives one whom I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter therefore mentioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So while reclining next to Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas the son of Simon Iscariot. And after he received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, do quickly what you are going to do. Now no one knew at the table why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Jesus had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that we should give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so I now say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. 
A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus. It's not clear which one of them actually told the story. Um, She and the other woman lived in the same house. That, of course, was pretty common in ancient Israel. Both of them were expecting. Both gave birth to sons within days of each other. But one night, the other woman discovers that her child has died. And in what has to be unimaginable grief, she, she takes the other woman's son. She exchanges him with her now deceased child. Stories found in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon is the one who is called to settle this dispute. The first woman tells the king, wise King Solomon, when I arose to nurse my son, I, I, I saw that he was dead, and, but when I looked at him closely in the morning, I could tell it was not the son that, to whom I had given birth. And Solomon decides that the only way he can, he says, bring me a sword. And he proposes that he will divide the child in half and give each mother half. One mother, and this is frightening stuff, says simply, fine, neither yours nor mine. Divide it. But the other jumps up, no, 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 Lord, give her the boy. Don't kill him. Solomon, his voice full of empathy, points to the second and says, give the boy to his mother. Now, maybe it's too simple, but let me ask this question. How did Solomon know? It has something to do with love revealed in the face of death. A lot of death going on in our readings tonight. First reading is the account of the Passover of the night. Every firstborn child in Egypt dies. The angel of death passes over Israel, the chosen. The only children spared in an entire nation are the households with the blood of the Passover lamb over their doorpost. And when Passover is celebrated, the old covenant, that's the story that is told. God's redemption of a people. You didn't have to be the son of God to know that you were going to die. Um, Jesus had been participating in some very public demonstrations. uh, Mocked the triumphal processions of Rome. Turned over the temple's money changers. Argued with religious authorities daily. Caused a public disturbance in the midst of massive crowds in the holiday weekend. And did all of that in full view of the occupying forces, the Roman government. 
And a Roman governor was famous for not tolerating that kind of rabble-rousing and definitely not at the Passover. Thousands of pilgrims pouring into a city to celebrate God violently delivering Israel from its occupiers. If you did what Jesus did last week, unless you've got some power behind you, you're going to end up where Jesus knew he was going to end up. But first, in the very shadow of his own death, Jesus gathers with some friends. Remarkable in itself. I don't think he uses that term friends lightly. And I pray that we will not tonight either. He's gathered with those with whom he has traveled, in some cases for many years. He's gathered with friends and with followers, some new, some old, including one of them who has promised to never, ever deny him, and one who has already arranged to do just that. It's a night together, a last supper, if you will, together. And everything is about to change. Tomorrow it will be just Jesus. Just Jesus in what has to be the loneliest hours of his life. A time of trial that makes even 40 days of fasting in the wilderness look easy. On what we will call Good Friday, he will hang on a cross in public suffering, deserted by every single person sitting at that table. That's tomorrow. And tonight Jesus knows. Jesus knows what is to come. So what did, what did that feel like? Does the chatter and the laughter of friends, does that comfort him or do, does it irritate him? Is it out of place or is it the salve for his soul? What's it like to know that, that one of your companions seated at the table will betray you and ultimately, in fact, all of them will? I, I don't know. We don't know. But it's in that context, in the shadow of death, that Jesus takes off his robe and wraps himself with a towel like a servant and gets down on his hands and knees and washes all of their feet. Wow. After Judas leaves into a kind of spiritual darkness that few have ever known, and let me take a moment to just say, those sound like a lot of excuses even when John writes it. What's clear is that not one of them ran after Judas and said no. Jesus turns to the remaining disciples and like like a parent on their deathbed, he says, little children, I'm with you only a little while longer. I know some of you have been there, some of you are there. Brad and Mitch Phillips describe a moment like that with their mother, Marcine, just a few weeks ago saying goodbye. Sometimes it happens around a table just like this. Sometimes it happens around a bed. Sometimes at a hospice. Sometimes at home. But you can picture a parent saying farewell to their children. Younger children are wide-eyed, weepy. Older ones are trying to be brave. Little children, says Jesus, you'll look for me, but where I'm going, you cannot go. Even the youngest one, since something is going on here, tears are starting to flow. I give you a commandment, says Jesus. That you love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. 
Again, it doesn't take that much imagination. A brave smile, a trembling voice. Mom says, I won't be around to take care of you much longer. You're going to have to take care of each other. Be good to each other. Watch out for each other. And most of all, love each other. Do you promise? Just as Solomon was able to discern the true identity of a mother by the love of her child, the wise of this world will be able to identify true followers of Jesus by their love for one another. That's what we're supposed to do. Not just break bread and lift cups and put on fancy robes. And We are to love one another and we are to do that in remembrance of Him. And it's what we do. It's What we do every time we celebrate this Eucharist, that's what we do. We gather in front of Jesus' table, forgiven and forgiving one another. We exchange the peace of the Lord. We welcome, we include, we hold hands, and we do all of that to remember the great command. In other words, when we gather at this table, we also meet Jesus. And it makes no difference whether we loved him or whether we betrayed him. And frankly, we all do some of both. Each of us is saint and sinner. But he washes our feet humbly. And when we greet one another with the peace of the Lord before coming to this table, we recognize each other as human beings who have been cleansed, washed by Jesus. This is serious stuff with serious implications. Jesus calls it a, a new commandment. And I'm sure he didn't take that word commandment lightly. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If the disciples of Jesus insist on squabbling over doctrine and dogma and property and power and race and gender and place at the table, if the disciples of Jesus are in fact willing to cut the baby in half. And people looking everywhere at them will shake their heads and say, they must not know God. They must not follow Jesus. And it's even more than that. If, if you don't love, as a follower of Jesus, if you don't love, people assume things about Jesus. I was raised in a small enough town that I know that people blame the parents for the way the children act. If the children are mean or rude or disrespectful, the community clucks at one another. Acorn doesn't fall very far from the tree. For the sake of our identity as the church, as the body of Christ, and for the reputation of Jesus, God made flesh, we are to love one another. Jesus said to his disciples, just as I have loved you, just as I have loved you, you should love one another. He doesn't mean the kind of lip service that sometimes passes for love in the church. He means a genuine thing, the kind of love that Jesus has shown his disciples, the kind of love that a mother shows to a child, the kind of love that stands ready to lay down one's life for the other. Look, I, I don't know what was going through everyone's mind at that table that night, much less the mind of Jesus. This is what we know. 
Everyone was there. Those who loved, those who lavished on him, those who sold him out, they were all there. They're all there at the table with Jesus. And he washed all of their feet. And he loves them all. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Amen.